Take your seats, movie fans. The film's about to start. Welcome to Crafted Services, the show where we look at the bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on this, the Just Enough Trope Network. You can find out more at justenoughtrope.com. Joining me on the show today is Sam Landman. He's a writer, actor, and a podcaster as well. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Aaron. It's awesome. Thank you. For, thank you for being here. Uh, tell me about your podcast, Aging Poorly. Yeah, Aging Poorly was uh, started by Bill Steitler, and he was kind enough to bring me in. Uh, and he was just like, I just want to, I want to do a podcast. We were kind of kicking around ideas. Should it be about comics? Should it be about other stuff, geeky stuff we like? Sure. And eventually we're like, well, let's don't shoehorn, our, shoehorn ourselves. Let's be like, um, let's find things that we liked as kids and then look at them now and see if they hold up. Yeah. So each of us brings two things, one that holds up, one that doesn't. That can be, well, we've done book and record sets, we've done movies, we've done cartoons. Um, one of our guests brought on Twinkies and said, that really holds up. Okay. <laughs> um, so it can be any pop culture stuff. And uh, what we found is, um, our main goal is to say that, in a nutshell, I, mean, I don't want to pigeonhole it, but nostalgia is kind of bullshit. Like, it makes you feel great. Right. But most of it from our childhoods, and I would assume from probably yours, uh, is 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 it's um, the kind of stuff you it's just disposable. Yeah, it's stuff that they were like, it's going to air once. This episode of Super Friends, we don't care if like Superman is saying Batman's lines, it doesn't matter. <laughs> People are going <laughs> right. to see it once. No one will see this and like critique it thirty, forty years later. Yeah. So that's basically it. Uh, aging poorly, just it's that's the whole thing. The whole premise is like nostalgia can feel good, but. It's not necessarily good for you. Looking at some of the old like cartoons that I used to watch mm. uh, when I was a kid a lot, yeah. you'd look through and it's like, well, the cartoon only lasted one season of 65 episodes because <laughs> yeah. they just like pumped them out and they just didn't yeah. care like who was watching. Yeah, Hanna-Barbera was notorious for doing, doing like one season, but like 30 episodes, 32 right. episodes. And generally you find yourself just going, uh, Hong Kong Fooey can be kind of fun sometimes, but it's the same premise over and over. Um, filmation was really bad because huh. they had cheap animation. Yeah, so right, right. Until they really hit it big with like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, everything they did was just so, it was the same movements. The Star Trek cartoon actually is, as you probably know, yeah. is really fun because they brought in like some of the original writers. Yeah, right, yeah. Did things they couldn't do otherwise. Because you didn't have a special effects budget, you just had an ink budget basically. Yeah, you, yeah. you were, and you know, with filmation you were able to just kind of go, Hey, guess what? Um, we can do anything. This yeah. alien creature that you couldn't do, we couldn't build because CBS didn't have the budget. Well, it's possible now. Now, the exception, that's the exception, but most cartoons, yeah, were just like, oh man, they're brutal. Yeah. <laughs> really hard to hard to watch. Those He-Man ones are not very good. No, you know, and it's for kids. It was people who were way older than us now who were like, yeah, they this this will happen here, and we'll in in this episode of Thundar we'll have this happen. It's like, no, yeah, right? No, that's that's horrible. <laughs> that's awful. You think the goal would be to take those old things, and if you're going to remake something, the good rule is remake something that deserves to be better. Yes. And instead, you get like the Masters of the Universe movie, <laughs> right? Or uh, like the Transformers films now, yeah. where it just seems to be the same aesthetic. Ah. They'll take it. They'll yeah, eat popcorn they'll, and just watch it. Yeah, it's kids. It's Saturday morning. When you had a Saturday morning, 
right. uh, tradition going on. But I think that my theory is that that's why cartoons are great now is because people grew up with pap and garbage and they said, you know what, we're going to write this for for like our kids or who we would want to entertain if it was us as kids. Yeah. You know, so you have stuff that's sort of adult, but also, you know. Kind of fun for kids, too. Sure. Do you ever cover anything like that on your show, like um, Invader Zim or some of the newer cartoons? We've tried to um, put up... We don't have a hard and fast rule, but we've tried to go, all right, 10 years is not long enough. Like Because it's got to age. It's got to age. Right, right. Does it age poorly? I mean, I think uh, I suggested maybe Freakazoid. That was a fun like, okay. w, yeah. like Warner Brothers WB cartoon. And even that is almost too... It's in the 90s, but it's borderline like almost 2000 sure so it's like well do we actually go well how far back do we go mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna i'm probably i think we did like oh bill did debbie gibson's electric youth album okay sure. and that's far enough back where that's it's like far. yeah that's pretty far back <laughs> but yeah we we haven't um we haven't done anything that's that's been too recent because it hasn't aged enough to be like oh that's painful yeah or that's gr- still i mean it's easy to say stuff is still great when it's five six years ago and a lot of times things aren't great the longer they go like you could do the simpsons or south park with itself oh sure i mean my god like what is it Simpsons is on like the 28th season yeah, or something. Yeah, they're coming up in 30, yeah. And it died so long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. There's For me, I'm sort of one of those people who I like, oh, it's still the characters. But when, like, people, they kill people off or this person marries this person, I'm like, you lost me. I know. <laughs> Krabappel should not be marrying this person. Right, right. Done with that. Uh, well, the name of this show is Craft to Services, and on every episode of the podcast, we look at a film that's poorly rated, generally lower than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but one that's usually well-remembered by audiences at large, or in the case of today's film, has possibly been unfairly judged by history. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll be the judges of that today. Oh, no. Uh, Sam, you didn't know when you walked in here today, saying that you were gonna wa- we were going to watch The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, mm-hmm. that this was going to be a transformative experience for me. Is that right? Because I had actually never seen the film up to this point. But in researching it, and also just scenting a certain aroma in the air (laughs) as I watched it, I found out that it has a lot in common with another film that features an improbably named blue-collar hero, Hudson Hawk, (gasps) which is one of my favorite movies um, at the behest of many of my friends and loved ones. (laughs) Uh, And I really want to do it for the show someday. i got to find somebody brave enough. But both Ford Fairlane and Hudson Hawk share a writer in Daniel Waters. No, who worked sh- on the script? Really? Yep. Uh, he wrote Heather's originally. That's kind of what he where he got his break. Wrote this Hudson Hawk, Batman Returns, and uh, the Screen Panther uh, Demolition Man as well. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay, I I let that slip. I didn't know that at all. Yeah, there was a couple different writers in this film. Uh, writer writer actor David Arnett also got a credit on this film. And I say writer actor, but his only other credit as a writer is Last Action Hero, oh. which we're covering very soon on this show. Nice. So those are two big hits for him. Uh, he's probably more of a actor than a writer now after uh, Ford Fairlane and Last Action Hero. And I think it makes sense because this movie has a very Shane Blackian vibe, if that's an adjective. It does. Uh, I mean, the same guy directed Die Hard 2. Exactly, yeah. So it's like, and not much worth a damn after that or before that. But I I like to think Die Hard 2 is a fun sequel like yeah. i i might put it up against die hard one die hard one's great but yeah. the second one's pretty fun so it has that 
God, cinematically, and as far as, I don't know who the DP on it was, on Ford Fairlane was, but wow, it looks pretty in places. Yeah, it does. And, and you know, and they let it slide a couple places, a lot of places. Yeah. It, it's Rennie Harlan, of course. Yes. Um, the infamous Rennie Harlan that directed it. And he, I feel like he's doing his best Tony Scott at this point in his, sure. part, in, yeah, in, yeah. in his career. Yeah. Because um, it's got a lot of those kind of smoky sort of rooms. And I mean, you know, because of the protagonist, of course. But <laughs> right. it's got that kind of cool look that Tony Scott always uh, cultivated that a lot of times some of his films, that's kind of all they had going for them. Yeah. And you can strap in for this because <clears throat> Shane Black himself appeared on the business end of a, the camera a couple times as an actor, specifically for the CBS show Dark Justice. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that one, <laughs> on which another writer of this film was a producer and a writer. Mind explosion. I, I am getting, I do so much research on things for aging poorly. You've blown <laughs> my mind several times with what you've dug up. I, I didn't even do that much digging. So I don't know what was in the water in the uh, late 80s, early 90s as far as uh, screenwriters and stuff goes. And of course, both films, uh, Hudson Hawk and this, were produced by sentient pile of cocaine, Joel Silver. <laughs> That's right. Uh, who, yeah. That we should probably name this podcast after, like uh, Silver's Gold or something like that. Because a lot of the movies are going to be <laughs> produced by Joel Silver. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, there's a million reasons, but why did you want to talk about The Adventures of Ford Fairlane? Well, as you know, I had a different uh, you know, idea. Um, I was going to do a different film. And yeah. I said, no, I'm going to take The Road Less Traveled. And I just this came on not long ago, as it's apt to do. I can't believe it was actually on something, on a channel that's on cable. Right. But um, somebody dared to show it. And I watched it and said, you know, there are horrible things about this film that either date it or, let's just say, through the evolution of our sensibilities yeah. and how we think now and uh, just how things are that really play badly, um, in a way, like uh, Andrew Dice Clay stand-up routine yeah, um, or anything of that, that matter, um, for that matter. Like, there's some Eddie Murphy, you know, delirious and raw. There are things in that that are... Pretty, pretty offensive. Yeah. But what I found in this film, there were things that I was like, no, I just... Okay, quick side note. Sure. We just did uh, Altman's MASH. Okay. Um, Bill is a huge MASH fan, TV show fan. And he brought this to the table and said it's just... It doesn't hold up because it's so misogynistic and it out... It sort of um, outbalances the good. Yeah. Um, I disagreed a little bit. I think there were things you could save, but I totally understand this. Um, well, has a lot of that. Has a lot because it's dice. Um, yeah, Sally Kellerman kind of takes it in that film. Um, she does. And this, barely anybody. I mean, you got Lauren yes. Holly, yes. who is capable but put upon. And that's about it. Uh, every other woman is just a woman-shaped blob of desire who she's just throws a... themselves <laughs> at dice. Throws yep. themselves at dice. Yes, they're all objects, and they're just laser-guided at the rock and roll detective, right? Um, Ford Fairlane. <laughs> if um, I had to defend it, and we can get into the meat of that later, um, is that at least the movie? I think it doesn't go far enough into satire. It knows that it's crazy yeah. because it's got the setup of like, "You son of a bitch, call me," and it's like, "All right, you're doing a thing." I, I kind of see. And there are there there's one particular scene that is so over the top. Um, it's a sorority scene. Yeah. It's so over the top that I'm like, you know, they had to be aware. Um, and yet, and again, we can talk about this later. W one of the problems that sinks this is the same thing uh, that sort of sinks 
Andrew Dice Clay's um, entire stand-up routine persona character, if you will, yeah. is the fact that the bros and the goombas and the white straight males at that time yeah. were looking at it as like, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, hot chicks and oh it's a sorority they're doing aerobics and eating corn dogs and they're it's like yeah and even dice is like this is like too much too much like sensory overload for me i still think that that's fundamentally the biggest thing about this film is that there were people who even though dice is has said many times uh it's a character yeah you know um that doesn't that's a great excuse. Um, it's really <laughs> yeah. easy to just chalk it up to that and use that as like my shield. Like I don't, I'm not going to say like this was me. Yeah, this was a character doing X Y Z. If you're on stage, fine. If you're doing stand up, people are going to confuse it immediately. Yeah, unless you're Andy Kaufman or whoever. So it's kind of tough to be like you know, you can't fool the lowest common denominator. They're just going to buy into whatever. Right. They're going to eat the Big Mac and drink the Coors, and no offense to Coors or Big Mac fans who listen to the show, which, right. of which I'm sure there are millions. But that's the problem is, like, I think it gets into that territory, and they buy it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Super people aren't going to get satire. They're not. Even if that's what he's doing. Right. Even if that's... Even if he's... It depends on your audience, too. It, it does, and he knew his audience, like, 100% at this point. Yeah. Like, he sold out Madison Square Garden... Two nights in a row, yeah, which First no comedian had ever done, right? And that, in and of itself, speaks to <laughs> the uh, voracious appetite of these uh, dolts back then who just wanted him to do the dirty nursery rhymes, yeah, and wanted the future Howard Stern fans who were like, you know, Howard and Dice, they like think like me, they have the same sense of humor as me. They're they're saying what I want to say, but don't have a stage for. Yeah, and the weird and sad thing is, <laughs> is that they're not. They're just entertainers who yeah. have an act. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell you what uh, Howard Stern's like actual politics are like, as a person. No, mostly because he's worn his persona almost his entire you know life, definitely right. his professional career. Yeah, but it certainly probably doesn't line up exactly with the typical Howard Baba Booey Baba Booey Howard Stern fan. Right, not at all. And that's I think that's. I don't know. That's that's a double-edged sword here because yeah, as much as I found find some good stuff about this film that I still enjoy as I don't know, um, maybe one of those guys, maybe one of those bros. It still makes me kind of shiver when you know there's a I don't know there yeah. are certain moments that have nothing to do with his horrible. Um, I ain't got you scene in the studio where he's singing <laughs> and the is... band just jumps in. That that's a shivering altogether different yeah. versus like this is so horribly over the top misogynistic. I, I don't know. There, there's a back and forth for me that um, this this character, if you will, the Ford Fairlane character who's really close to Dice, is one of those guys who I feel there is some frailty there that they show yeah, in right. the script. Versus, I can win, and I'm ten foot tall and bulletproof, and right. cool as ice, and a badass, and every woman wants to have sex with me. I mean, even the Hollywood studio system in 1990 was gonna make you look. You need to change this. This needs to change this way. There needs sure. to be some a three act structure, maybe, and there kind <laughs> of is, yeah, kind of, uh, but not sort much. of a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't know if you were a fan of his, um, like growing up or of his old stuff. Yeah. But I was. Um, I don't. I don't think I ever was. Mostly because I didn't have cable, so there's no way for me to access that. Right. 
And uh, I know that like what is it the Dice Man cometh or whatever like his oh, big yeah. special was like the most rented special like of all time. Yeah. And I just watched it the other day, uh, kind of in preparation for this, and it's the camera is as in love with the crowd as it is with him. Like, can you believe that a guy would say this? And look at how look at these assholes. They love it. They're just eating it up. Yeah. And there's yeah. this under undercurrent of that. And this is of course at the same time that like political correctness is really starting to assert itself and sort of a movement for that, which yeah. in a lot of you know, you could argue helped kill his career for a time. Sure. But that subset is there. Like he's really he's pumping these douchebags up. Yeah. And that thing is still kind of there. And you're right. Like I feel kind of dirty, but at the same time, I watch this and I enjoy it. Maybe with those nostalgia glasses, yeah. uh, thinking, well, it was a more innocent time. Maybe it was okay to like it and just say that you're not one of those guys. Yeah. But and if I, there was a guy like this now, <laughs> I've, even comedians like um, the, uh, like uh, Anthony Jeselnik has a real confrontational oh, kind sure. of act yeah. that he gets in trouble for. And I don't think that he believes most of the stuff that he says. But it gets him response. It gets you know any press is good press, that sort of thing. Right. So that's his character. And I I wasn't a huge. Um, I think you know my first comedy boner was for like Steve Martin. I had the yeah. Wild and Crazy Guy album. <laughs> right. And I wore that album out, and everything he did was gold to me. And then as comedy does what it does, it evolves yeah. and changes. I think at that time I was probably like a lot of people, a big Stephen Wright fan. Mm-hmm. Um. I loved Sam Kinison, uh, who was like one rung below, not offensive, but like just just scraping the surface of offensive, but not quite. He had this totally scream gimmick, so that right, was fine. Yeah. I was never a huge um, Andrew Dice Clay fan. I think maybe a friend of mine had uh, probably had the Dice Man Cometh, and I had listened to it in the same way that I never owned eddie murphy delirious um but saw raw in the theater so there were all these things where i loved i loved it i wasn't so in love i think the evolution of it seemed too much it was just too over the top maybe sure sure. and i loved you know you have the steve martin who is really playing up there like he's on stage but doesn't believe in punchlines right and he is evolving comedy and people like Stephen wright who there's a punchline but you're not really sure if you get it and it might be a way (laughs) homer where you get it on the way home right but it's very downplayed (laughs) so i like stuff like that with the ford fairlane i was i I was a an only child of a of a widowed mother so i'm like i'm the biggest sort of introvert and also very sort of mama's boy and i the whole machismo thing was too much for me. It yeah. still is. Yeah. Um, Talk about toxic masculinity. This is like septic. Oh, septic oh, it really masculinity. Is. That yeah. is, you know, I've seen more, you know, you could look up toxic masculinity right now and there'd be so many, you know, you didn't have uh, cisgender, you didn't have toxic masculinity, masculinity, you didn't have words to explain this. Right. Because back then it was sadly just accepted. Yeah. Um, and not accepted. I mean, there there weren't, it's not like there weren't people who were, I mean, I mean, obviously you look at Nora Dunn's last episode of SNL. She oh, is walked that, off. Yeah. He was hosting. He was hosting. Yeah. Yeah. So she cared enough about the, the right to say this is wrong. Right. To just not appear in her final episode. Yeah. And to me, that took balls, man. That. That is one of those things where you go, okay, yeah, clearly there are people who hate this, mm-hmm. and but she has, she stood up and did something about it. So I get that. I mean, I get that it's it's completely toxic 
I uh, I was just looking over the titles of some of his his tracks on his albums, like "The Day the Laughter Died," okay, which is him just riffing, and there's no actual act; it's just him barely doing anything and just riffing. Great. And some of them are just like you could have a guar style band that's borderline offensive or disgusting, but not ever going that far, and name it one of his the tracks off that album. Okay. Um, it's. It's rough. Like yeah. the titles alone, just would get people incensed today. Um, and I get it. I mean, I totally get that. This film, however, in terms of a character, <laughs> it's <laughs> I I love the sort of hard boiled you know idea of it. Yeah. It doesn't quite reach that. Yeah, it doesn't get all the way there. It's no double indemnity, but <laughs> it's <laughs> for the nineties. But it's it's got a there's something about it at its core that I'm seeing and I'm seeing glimpses of it. Maybe through you know these macho pig things that are being said. Yeah, but I almost think that it almost redeems the character, except for the fact that the movie totally failed. Mm. But a lot of those comedians you mentioned have there's an introspection and a, a self um, denigration to them, like yes. a vulnerability that doesn't exist by design in the character in the Dice Man character. Right, and yet when you and he's just a guy on stage, you know, going hickory dickory dock. You put him in a film, and he's literally a character with other characters in a movie. So as a movie character that exists in an, what do you think this is real life? Like exists in a fantasy. Yeah. They allow him a little vulnerability and all his shit blows up and, you know, his jokes don't always work. And suddenly it's like, oh, he's a little more endearing than, uh, than right. he was. Then he just is on stage doing nursery rhymes. And you have to make him that because otherwise oh, yeah. he's, it doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. It, Like you said, it barely works at, in places, but it really has to – he has to be made real. He's not some two-dimensional onstage, like you said – Hickory Dickory Dot guy, right? Um, so I think it it accomplishes that. Um, although it, I, I don't want to say it helps with the cast he has, but they have to be able to be like, well, who are the other people in this universe? Mm -hmm. You know. So I think that kind of helps. Um, you've got well, I mean, let's face it, Morris Day's in it, so yes, yes. you can't fail. If you've got Morris Day in a, oh, in a film, you just can't. Look at Change, Purple Rain. Change, fail to succeed. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's even a little skit at the beginning of Dice Man Cometh where he it acts out this little thing where he plays <laughs> this character. Yeah. So I don't know if there was, he had always had, uh, always had it in mind that there would be a theatricality to it. I don't know anything about his relation to his persona um, and his act, but it almost seems like back then he was even planting the seeds of, this isn't me. This is this guy, you know, Dice. And yes. He's going to leave Julie Warner and he's going to go to Hollywood and <laughs> yeah. say goodbye to his mama. And so now he's this. Well, and he had an appearance on Arsenio Hall, which is, is yeah, yeah, right. That's the one where he kind of he stands up and kind of breaks down. And I've yet to figure out. It's like a Kaufman bit. I've yet to figure out what's <laughs> real, like where the wrestlers in on it and blah blah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he does this thing where other comedians will say, "I know Andrew Clay." And I know when he's vulnerable, and I know when he's not playing that character. And when he kind of breaks down a little bit, it kind of solidifies the idea that the thing that he says on Larry King interviews and all these other people uh, he talks to, look, it's a character. Mm -hmm. I knew guys like this growing up. I don't talk like this. I'm hoping to quit smoking. That kind of shit. <laughs> sure. Where it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. I, I, again, I'm not totally convinced it's not some crotch or a shield. 
or a shield with a crutch on it or <laughs> right, a, crutch, a shield. <laughs> crutch with a shield on it. But I'm not really sure like if he's just using that as a defense mechanism, mm. which is easy to do in entertainment, or he he truly is that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Kyle he, Man be. Yeah, it could be both. Uh, but I think this is a good way for him. And also, and you probably did the research on this too, but um, I try not to. I try not to research. <laughs> there were a series, a series of uh, articles written by this guy named Rex Weiner and uh, Weiner. Yeah, yeah. Weiner. I'm I'm afraid to call him Weiner because uh, that's it how might it's be. spelled. It, <laughs> it might, might be. Let's Wiener. just call him Rex Weiner. Sure. Because uh, it's Ford Fairley, um, and that's the least offensive thing we're going to say in this podcast. Right. But he wrote a series of rock and roll detective stories uh, about Ford Fairlane, which mm-hmm. is this, which is basically this is loosely based on. Um, I don't know m- how much sign off he had on the screenplay, or if he was just like it's Probably based on none. my characters. Probably none. Yeah, I think they were just like, "Hey, this is cool. You wrote this in the New York Times." And before I, don't know. I can't remember the guy's name, but before Joel Silver picked it up, uh, it had been an um, option for a film for a long time. And the guy that made like Freebie and the Bean was trying to get it made as a film. Oh my <laughs> god, Freebie and the Bean! Before Joel Silver <laughs> swept wow. in, and uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know. Again, not sure if you're gonna drop this bomb later, but drop it now. There is a four issue limited oh, yeah, the, series yeah. DC put out, Adventures <laughs> of War Fairlane. It's basically fan fiction. Yeah. And a lot of it is sort of based on the Rex Wiener stuff, but it's clearly Dice Man as yeah. and it came out around the same time. I'm actually gonna buy that. I'm gonna buy them and just read them because it's comics, man. I just love I read the Dune comics, you know. <laughs> right. Why would you read those? Right. But uh, Sienkiewicz drew him, so that's why. But, like, man, I um, it's a really, like you said, a lot of this little column A, little column B, you're not really sure what uh, it is. But I think it's fleshed out enough to where he, to me, holds the film together, which is not, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. No, I mean, coming from nowhere. Like from nowhere. He had a, you know, he was on a couple TV shows. and He was on 16, he was, in, not 16, uh, Pretty in Pink. Oh, Pretty was Pretty yeah. He was keeping Ducky from being inside with. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> with Andy. But, I mean, even then he's playing sort of the, he's called the Dice Man. Uh, and he calls him the Dice Man. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's, uh, it's tough. There are some bad things. And there are some good things, and I don't know which one outweighs which. Well, let's get into them. Okay. And before we get started, I say, like I say on every show, that this podcast is not in the pocket of Big Tomato. We don't endorse Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we're just using it as a metric in this case, as whether this film is good or bad. Uh, on the subject of Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think about Rotten Tomatoes and review aggregation sites? I, I, I applaud that whole concept because mm-hmm. I think it's, well, whereas we just said that... <clears throat> You can basically fool the goombas and the bros of the world. <laughs> right. I think film lovers need that, uh-huh. and the aggregation of, you know, these votes and these people who are legitimately love film. Um, I think that's important. I mean, it couldn't have happened any sooner. I don't know when Rotten Tomatoes started, but it's a perfect time mm-hmm. for for that to keep continuing. Yeah. And every time, you know, I. That, that's literally the litmus test for a lot of movies, especially superhero movies these days. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. what does it say on Rotten Tomatoes? Okay, maybe I'll just skip this one. Sure. Unless it's somebody a really a character I've always <laughs> wanted to see, but yeah. you know, again, and, and on that subject, I want to preface whatever we're going to say right here. <laughs> I found good things in Suicide Squad. Okay. So that. From that point on, you can either just say, this episode's bullshit, this guy's full of crap, 
or go, okay, sure. If he liked a little bit of that, what can he find in Ford Fairlane? Yeah, and it lets you get away from, you know, live. We I live in a fairly large media market, so there's a lot of options, but. Um, I did go to college in a small town, and the reviewer there for like the one paper had no idea what he was talking about. Right. His views didn't fit mine at all, so I almost took it as like, if he says it's bad, I gotta see that. It's clear <laughs> that he didn't get that, yeah, so he's, let's he's check it out. Polar opposite of what you should be. You can get around that yeah, when, yeah. You, when you have a bunch of reviews together. Right. Well, it is The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, and it's 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's at a 24 on Metacritic, and 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It came out on uh, July 11th of 1990 uh, with a budget of $49 million estimated and made about $21 million at the box office. So not not a success. Not great, but I have a theory about that. Oh, yeah, It's very simple, and this probably has nothing to do with actual numbers, but half the population went to go see it. Mm-hmm. I guess you know that would be men. The other half, mostly women, said, fuck this. There were a lot of women in that YouTube clip audience that I saw. (laughs) They were going nuts. There was Aquanet flying everywhere. Yeah, of course. Uh, Can you summarize the story briefly? Sure. I'm horrible at this, so (laughs) I might have to re-record this, Aaron. briefly. Just just telling you very briefly. Uh, It's not even an elevator pitch. I was going to say, rock and roll detective finds his true heart. Okay. That's not it, though. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I was, that's, I was that's ready awful. to go with that. That's, that's, that's total crap. But, uh, yeah, uh, Fort Fairlane is this rock and roll detective. He's done jobs for In Excess and Millie Vanilli. Right. A lot of topical humor there. Yeah, sure. Unfortunately, he's being paid in things like koala bears from In Excess or bicycle shorts from Millie Vanilli, for right. instance. And that's his life. He has a secretary um, named Jazz. Uh, played by Lauren Holly, and uh, essentially it's the misadventures of him trying to find, um, find love, and find more work. Uh, right. Neither of which is happening. Yeah. Suddenly he gets uh, multiple um, offers to find this girl named Zuzu Petals. Uh, one is from a shock jock that he was a really good friend with, called Johnny Crunch, um, who uh, almost immediately ends up being murdered um and then another is oh my god i forget her name it's uh, presley it's priscilla. priscilla presley's right. character that's horrible i don't even remember her name i don't either <laughs> she she also says oh this is my i think at one point my sister or my daughter or something right and it's the same person and he's like look johnny crunch just died so it's 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 an interesting sort there are a few little MacGuffins in there like your you know your typical um hard-boiled detective story yeah film noir thing um uh, the main guy is played by played by Wayne Newton, right. uh, Julian Grendel of Grendel Records. This is a great name. Uh, no, it's so great. Uh, and uh, he um, he's basically one of those guys who's um, trying to put the kibosh on anything mm-hmm. that uh, Ford is doing. Um, beyond that, it starts with the death of a, a lead singer from a band called Black Plague. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you get the idea of like, oh, this is, okay, cool. This is, dude, this is what the f- rock and roll detective does. Um, and he eventually finds Zuzu Petals at, I think, uh, what's his name? Black, Bobby Black's funeral right. from Black Plague. Um, and then f- in, there are these discs that uh, Bobby one these CDs these, these newfangled c- things. newfangled <laughs> technology CDs yeah um, that you find out is that you know they actually have data on them um, Zuzu has one 
uh, Priscilla Presley has one. And uh, they find and there's also a Mag- what seems to be a MacGuffin about a, a guy named Art Mooney that he finds out right. around uh, Johnny Crunch's uh, radio show. He's also being sort of hounded by <laughs> Ed O'Neill from Married with Children, right. who plays a, a lieutenant uh, for the right. And he used to be in a band called Disco Express, yeah. with a song called Booty Time, right? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, various characters like you know uh, Morris Day is uh, is in there. <laughs> Yeah. There are all these for, sort of divergent storylines that sort of converge at certain points and sort of don't. Um, but yeah, you you find out that essentially he's he's trying to he's trying to make his way in this crazy world. Also, there's a there's a kid involved, which looks like some to me was just sort of a last ditch attempt to make this wholesome. Yeah, or relatable. Relatable. <laughs> right. It's like well, you got to have some because <laughs> he's gonna. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got to have like it's what was it? It's on. It's Barton Fink all over again. It's like you got <laughs> to have some sort of uh, some man child who has lost his way or a waif, right. a man child or a waif. So this right. is the waif, <laughs> and I guess uh, Ford Fairling's the man child. Yeah. Um, that that's that's not a great. Breakdown. That's essentially what it is. That's what you you could obviously add something because I'm sure there's something I'm missing. That is, if you were to make a collage of sorts uh, of <laughs> from my this scrapbook, film. yeah, from a scrapbook yeah. or cut out of magazines. Yeah, I think that that pretty much covers it. <laughs> um, it's. Yeah, I love your comment about Barton Fink. That I never even thought about that before. It's perfect. Uh, it was directed by Rennie Harlan, who we uh, spoke about previously, uh, yeah. who has more or less been in movie jail since Cutthroat <laughs> Island in 1995. Oh, that's right. Cutthroat yeah. Island, yes. Which pretty much sank uh, Carol Co. And uh, <sighs> the funny thing is, is that right after that, Shane Black came back again, and Long Kiss Good Night came out the next year, directed by him, which also wasn't really like a success, but has become kind of a cult hit yes. over the years. Um, and it's not a bad film. No. Um, he's a five-time Razzie Award-nominated director, <laughs> although he's never won, which at some point, if you've been nominated five times and you haven't won, you've kind of won, haven't you? That's yeah, kind of worse than not actually I winning. So. Um, and I think it's kind of unfair. Like you mentioned um, before that Die Hard 2 uh, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think Cliffhanger was in 96. And that's oh, that's fun, right. kind of pulpy film. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that a couple times in the theater. But he's not doing much now. I think he did a Jackie Chan, uh, Johnny Knoxville movie recently. So Oh, wow. Not great. Yikes. <laughs> not looking too good for him. Oh, poor Rennie. Uh, as you mentioned before, uh, Wayne Newton is in this for some reason. <laughs> uh, I, I always kind of like it when he crawls out and does a movie role for some reason. Was, yeah. it, in, uh, was it Vegas Vacation? I, he was. Uh, I think he shows up. Uh, and so he's in this. Priscilla Presley's in this for like 10 seconds. Um, and I think she's kind of underserved. I mean, literally, you talk about, like, are, where are the women in this film? Yep. She shows up in a fun, I put in quotes-ish scene where she kind of confronts him and kind of holds her own. He's trying to make jokes, and he's like, it's a joke. She's like, oh, I don't have a sense of humor either. I thought that was a good line. <laughs> I was married to Elvis Presley. I don't have a sense yeah, of humor. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Nothing was funny around him. Uh, and then, of course, shows up, gets killed in, like, her second scene, like, near the end of the Yeah, film. which is sad, because it's like, you know, she was an interesting character. Yeah, we could have done more with that. Could have. Um, Gilbert Gottfried gets killed off almost immediately, like you said. And it's funny to see him so young, first of all. But I really like Gilbert Gottfried. I know that he is very polarizing, and one pole is way bigger than the other. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is. And so I'm not sure how much this movie could have um, sustained uh, more of uh, of an appearance by him. No, it's a great appearance. Yeah, but it's a great short appearance. I, I think it's good for him because he's... 
the the stuff he's given. He's not. Pl- he's only playing the Gilbert Gottfried character again. Here we're talking about characters, right? Even though it's him, you know, it's kind of hard to embrace that, but it's true. He's the shock jock, and when he's on the air, he sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. When he's just Johnny Crunch talking, you. You know, what is it? You Suzuki Samurai, Vincent Hurst, piece of shit. Um, When he's just Johnny Crunch talking about his daughter, Zuzu Petals, there is a softness and a sadness and a like, oh man, like, yeah, I mean, he he says some horrible shit about like her mother. And then they, they rag on each other just like guys do. Right. But there's a wonderful sensibility about him. It doesn't change that they're still extremely like chauvinistic and, yes. and all that stuff. But no. suddenly it's like, oh, these two are like actually real human beings in this yes. scene. Yeah, because they were they were in a band called FF and the and Captain and the Captain and Captain John or some shit like that. I think that. it's because it's like he's Johnny Crunch, but he's so he's like Captain Crunch. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I don't but know. you see like a headshot of them because they used to be in a band together yeah, in the seventies right. or whatever. But I mean, God, there's there's there are moments where I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing some, some, some Johnny Crunch fan fiction. <laughs> you right. know, why not? Not slash fiction, certainly, but fan fiction. Sure, yeah, in a prequel or something. Yeah. And then if, as soon as that moment's over, then it's uh, your spam. No, your spam. It's like he has this like weird playground uh, sort of insult relationship with Ed O'Neill's character, yeah. where it's not even good lines. It's not like they're really nailing each other. No. They're just. They're just, just taunting each childish. other. Childish. Yeah, you're a jerk off. You're a jerk off. Let's I, call the whole thing no, off. No, because that's what I that's what I see, and that's what I call you. It's like what? <laughs> yeah. You know whatever. <laughs> what is it? Rubber and glue. It's like it's bounces right. off me, sticks to you. Right. God. Um, that's something that I thought was interesting about the screenplay is that I feel like that was a choice. Yeah. Although it's hard to tell because a lot of his um, stand-up bits are people screaming. Yep. <laughs> and yelling dice. Yep. And then him doing. The, he's got a very low joke work rate. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing his act, but he just does hickory dickory duck. People go crazy. He goes, smokes over the side of his head. <laughs> yeah. And then keeps going. <laughs> right. And you think, okay, so a screenwriter could take some, write him some more bits, take his bits that don't really work or are a little offensive and kind of streamline them. Yeah. But this is a specific scene where they must have decided these two either hate each other or love each other so much yeah. that they can't even like put their best material out there. They're just no. like, they're just getting in each other's face. And well, and I wonder about kiss. that because I saw an interview with him on, again, Larry King. Yeah. And he talks about like uh, a bunch of guys wrote the screenplay based on the Rex Wiener thing and the character. And then I punched up the script. Mm. Now, by punch up the script, it's, you know, throw in a, because it's almost all voiceover. Yeah. Um, and he has a few of those dice jokes right. that are clearly dice jokes he threw in but the attitudes or him going you can you can almost feel him going uh Ford Fairlane wouldn't say that aka dice wouldn't say that sure. so i think him coming in and going maybe this needs punched up uh, in places is great and yet there are those moments where you're like god this could have been a great sort of riff fest between these two guys yeah. it's just not or he's like, hey, you're a poet and you don't know it. Hey, hey it's like, that, that got through. That got through three screenwriters? Wow. Uh, Robert England is in this for yes, some reason. That's right. Actually, I'll tell you what the specific reason is. Uh, Billy Idol was originally cast to play Smiley. 
What? The uh, hitman, yes. Oh, God. And got in a massive uh, motorcycle accident, like, right before filming started. <laughs> and so they just reached out and got Robin England. Uh, of course, all the cross-promotional stuff is still there with Cradle of Love, Cradle which of love. appears in the movie, but appears in, like, a million movies. Right. And the original version of the video, and you'll never find this anywhere, um, <laughs> is had scenes from Ford Fairlane on the TV, in addition to him being on the painting or whatever that's a weird video that's a weird video and it goes sometimes i want to hear the song but you have to go through the entire little vignette of like the guys the working guy, at the computer and then he's, he's like, in play the song yeah oh she's coming into his apartment and she's stripping but right not stripping enough to where like you know it would be interesting right it's just you know weird <laughs> yeah she's going from schoolgirl down to what you'd wear to the club so oh she's in a bustier crazy she's just changing yeah right yeah. she's just changing that's to fine. Go out. need to use your apartment for changing <laughs> right <laughs> uh, there are a lot of cameos in this. Uh, we've mentioned some of them already. Uh, also, David Patrick Kelly is in this, uh, oh, yeah. who, of course, was in Twin Peaks, and he's the the Warriors come out to play Warriors guy. guy yeah. yeah, and some other musical stars. Sheila E is in this. Tone Loke is in it. He is. And when I saw his name in the credits, I thought, ooh, a rapper actor. Maybe he'll have a part in this. Nah. nah. I don't know what the situation was, but he just appears in the beginning for yeah. Dice to show. How uh, magnanimous he is. Uh, I love rap and the new stuff. It's great. <laughs> Guy's gone. No more black people in the movie except for Morris Day. And then they th throw what's-his-name from Twin Peaks out the window and they beat the crap out of him. Yeah, right. Destroying right. their PA or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's an interesting thing about Morris Day being in this. Um, I uh, read way too many rock, and, uh, rock bios and autobiographies, um, one of which was way before Prince died was a book called Let's Go Crazy The Making of Purple Rain okay. and it's the entire process from Prince having an idea to the studio getting interested you know once he had more and more albums that were doing really well yeah. um, one of the little sections in this was the fact that Morris Day after Purple Rain uh, some Hollywood producer was like look um, we need to get you some vehicles because mm. you're clearly the underrated star of the, of Purple Rain. You we need to put you in these in these particular movies. Sure. Th this might have been the first possibly last besides uh <laughs> graffiti, graffiti bridge, bridge yeah. um that he appeared in. Um this could have been a potentially like oh this could jumpstart his career as as an actor. Um not saying he was like fantastic or anything, he wasn't horrible, right. but um yeah, that book was really um, interesting to be, to say like, oh, well, somebody saw him, an age, or maybe an agent or something, a producer or whatever, and just said, you know what, um, I think we could put you and you've got a fun character face and we could put you in stuff. More has been done with less. It's true. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, he's so very true. entertaining in uh, Graffiti Bridge. He and, is. Uh, and Purple Rain and in this, too. Yeah. But uh, no, no future for Morris Day. No, I guess, I guess not. Not in Hollywood. <laughs> it would be interesting to see how Billy Idol handled uh, the transition as oh well. Oh, my God. If he ended up playing that role. Because, you know, I mean, Robert England's Robert England. You can drop him into anything. Yeah. And I'm sure that they probably changed the part a little bit to fit his sensibility. But, you know, it's... he's in this movie and you're like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, you would need a weird guy. Hello, hello, this weird guy to come in and yeah. be unkillable and try to kill him. And it just <laughs> right. works. Yeah. Totally. And there's a koala in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a koala. It's not even. Hey, let's let's get a koala trainer to bring a real koala in. It's no. a puppet. Yeah, 
Well, koalas are mean, I, supposedly. So. Oh, is that right? Well, I think they're drunk a lot of the time. Oh. <laughs> because the leaves they eat, the eucalyptus, they eat them, and the, the sun uh, ferments the sugars in them, and so basically they're just like drunk and sort of surly. Wow, yeah. I did not know that. Well, I'm learning something. They're surly bears. Here, on Research. Crafted Surfaces. <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I'm learning about koala bears. There are yeah. five puppeteers listed. <laughs> In the credits. I didn't even look that up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my so God. So apparently it took five puppeteers to bring this koala to life. And for me, for me, uh, maybe just moving into uh, the highlights or what we really like about the film, the koala bear is sort of the dividing line for me. Hmm. Never having seen this before, and I'm glad I didn't see this as a kid because I don't know what would have happened to me. But, <laughs> right. Uh, with my adult uh, brain and sensibilities, like 10 minutes in, I'm thinking... I'm 10 minutes away from the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and then like five minutes later, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm hooked into this. Yeah. And then the koala shows up. And it's like, okay, where are we going? And then they hang the koala. <laughs> and it was like, that's the, that should replace shoot the dog. Like yes. hang the koala should be the new thing for it how bad, be. like a bad guy is or what the stakes are in a film. On a fan. On a fan, you're right. The classic. Although clearly... <laughs> Uh, you know, if it was if it was Silver's hand or whoever said, you know, it's great that you killed the koala, <laughs> but you should throw a bit in at the very end, right? Where and Dyson goes, what do you think we actually kill a koala? Yeah, totally through the fourth wall. Totally You'd kill the fourth wall, but yeah. not a koala. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like I I put that as one of those kind of one of the things I like about this stupid flick is yeah. the fact that wow that is it's polarizing that moment when it happens and he walks in and you're like oh shit so everything's gone to shit right now yeah, right um, but then it just keeps going because yes. his house blows up and he's like all right well let's go and then his car blows up and right just right. take everything from him yeah <laughs> <laughs> that and um just the whole thing has this sort of weird nowadays like comedy you know improv rules comedy yeah and so you can take the weirdest, stupidest thing and just run with it. And especially on something like a podcast, hello, um, <laughs> just just that additive kind of aesthetic to humor makes things funny. And there are bits like that where, okay, so we bring this kid in. Who knows who wrote the kid into the script? But he's missing his father. And he'll know him when he sees <laughs> the ring. It's a Fred Flintstone ring. Fred and then just Flintstone. into the soundtrack for no reason. <laughs> just to like hit it one more time yeah and it just it, it makes no sense but that's this movie like it's a koala hanging good time yeah and there are moments uh the band yellow yeah um who does the song oh yeah right. which is you know duff man's signature move um <laughs> they did the soundtrack to this uh which i thought was interesting and some of the some of the well because they use samplers and that kind of shit it really there's a moment I think I can't remember which part maybe it's when they're on the Capitol building but there are moments where there are sound effects that sound like they're sh they should be part of the movie but they're actually part of the song like some weird cartoon noise from Hanna Barbera I'm not saying it's connected to the Fred Flintstone it just made me think of it just it's this weird like why are you why are you including this type of weird, <laughs> right. oh, you included like a record scratch thing at the, in the middle, middle of the song? Or is it, is this happening in the scene? Right. You know, it's it's kind of tough because their stuff usually lands pretty well in the movie. And then every once in a while, something like, you'll go, why is this a Fred Flintstone-like thing? Why is <laughs> yeah. this little squeak happening? Yeah. It's really strange. Like, 
I I think the know. looser the movie gets, the better it is. I think so too. And it's just you know when it's the all the plates are about to fall down is like when it really comes through. And yeah. even in stuff like the voiceover, like there's a part where he's like, "You see what I'm saying to you is uh, what I'm saying," and you know what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> just like, all right, next scene, keep moving. Well, and there are part. There's one scene that I don't think I ever noticed, and I've seen this film way too many times. But uh, there's a scene right before Johnny Crunch, I think, dies, where it's been voiceover, voiceover, voiceover. Yeah, and that's fine. We've already gotten that from the very first scene in the first like two minutes, and then he's sitting in his car, and he's talking, doing a monologue. As if it's a voiceover, but we're clearly looking at him. It's just like an isolated shot of him from the side. And he's saying the same kind of stuff he would during a voiceover. And you're like, wait, right. what? What? Why? I mean, I, I guess there don't have to be rules, but you you can't have him just talking to him. He's already talking to himself in the voiceover. Right. Like, just track that. It doesn't take much to track it. But I'm like, you know, there are moments where it just kind of falls apart, and you go, <laughs> yeah. "All right, they didn't care." Or the, <laughs> yeah, you there's know. a part. It's it, yeah, it's it, it's when he's driving away from um, K Dirt or whatever. That's right, K Dirt. Yeah, yeah. And then it's he hits his VO from like the back of his head, and it turns around. And we're looking at him from the front, and he's just giving his line. He's just talking. And there's a part before that when he leaves uh, Crunch's office, and he's saying something about like uh, another day, another dollar, and then he's like, <laughs> like he just didn't want to say the rest of it. <laughs> okay, I know specifically what you're talking about. That is one of my favorite parts because he, if you look, what? Well, who's going to zoom in? Who's going to own the Blu-ray of this and have it on a high definition TV? But maybe someday. But <laughs> when he he's skipping across the street, right? Yeah, and he goes, money, 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 money. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's one of my favorite moments because it just shows how incredibly childish and stupid he is. Whether and you can't even if you well again. Blu-ray, high def TV, you can cl- even on my shitty TV, I can tell that's eighty yard, and you can't, his lips aren't moving as he turns to get into the car. He's not saying <laughs> any right. of that. Okay, yeah, so sure. it was just him going, you know, I'm skipping across, and I think we should put something in here. Like, <laughs> right. all right, well, dice say something. Um, all right, money, 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 and that's that was the best take. So why not? That's done. He Fine. wanted to do a uh, bit on the Beverly Hillbillies, but they couldn't clear it. So he just uh... <laughs> there's there's um, a part where, like you said, at Johnny Black's funeral, uh, where he gets attacked again by Smiley or Smile uh, Smiler or whatever, yeah. and they're chasing each other with hearses like through this cemetery. Yeah, and it, that's. That's what I'm looking for. Like, it's yes. ridiculous. And they keep going in a straight line for so long. Yeah. Like, how this is a runway, right? Or is it like a cemetery? <laughs> yeah. And then, like, Robert Ingham keeps calling him, like, on the phone, <laughs> like, to taunt him, like, yeah. while they're driving. How do you know the number? I, uh, yeah, no. I, or no is there just, like, is it, like, it's, like, 911, except it's for hearses? It's, like, 711. Maybe it's on the side of the car or something. Maybe <laughs> no, it is, yeah. you know. And then it's, his assistant calls him, and he thinks it's him. And then they finish the hangs up. And then he calls him again. He's like, what was that? Oh, no, I'm just, yeah, let's get back to this. Okay, so you're taunting <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and that's also got my favorite cameo in it, that scene. The woman who's not dead. Right, who's in, in the, the, on the gurney in the back, yeah. She is the the actress from Young MC's Bust a Move oh. video. Okay. She's also in, oh, I want to say the very beginning of Jane's Addiction's Stop video, where oh. it's got a little spotlight on her face. Okay. But, like, yeah, she's huh. she's the one where, like, I was 
obsessed. I would watch Young MC's Bust a Move video just for her dancing and saying, ah, or whatever. Right, yeah. Clearly she wasn't the singer, but she was the one they brought in. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, where is she now? Well, guess what? She was in, she was the, she's not dead, but she is the corpse in the thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. I should look up. Oh, I should look her up. I should look her up. I'm going to get divorced. Look her up. See what's up. I'm going to get divorced. <laughs> yeah, right. I filed for divorce right now because this woman probably still exists. I don't know. In the Valley. I don't know where she lives now, but sure. I'm going to track her down. I'm going to see what she's up to. Bust I really want to know. Exactly. I'm going to bust a move. <laughs> Oh man, uh, do you yeah. think that audiences? Oh, so audiences uh, rejected this. Uh, they yeah. rejected Harrison or Harrison. Um, they didn't reject anything Harrison Ford did in the eighties. Uh, <laughs> Hudson Hawk. Yeah, I was thinking of another movie. This kind of reminds me of is um, Leonard Six. Ooh, uh, with this just totally wacky. It's a heightened reality, sort of fourth wall breaking thing. Where yeah. people just after like Lethal Weapon, people just weren't looking for that. Maybe like they wanted their Commando. They wanted yep. uh, Hollywood to take itself seriously. Yeah, and they weren't looking for like a loony tunes type thing i think that's part of it i th- which is so weird because yeah. a lot of that looney tune sensibility is baked into things like lethal weapon oh yeah because riggs is just a he quotes bugs bunny absolutely know? he's a cartoon character yeah i mean you need that <laughs> i mean you need that in that film mm-hmm. um i think it's it's a little bit of that i think it's mostly just the fact that dude was on a roll dice was was killing it yeah but in a very very tough direction a very hard to stomach direction i think people immediately saw oh wait he's a lead in a movie pass Mm -hmm. i think i I think no one would give this a chance besides the the diehards who love uh dice man it's one thing when you go into a club and you expect to see something crazy right you got a couple it's a two drink minimum yeah it's a totally different thing in like a movie theater it is and i i think there are people who just i mean there are the nora duns of the world Okay. Which <laughs> yeah. I I do not blame her in the slightest. I, I think com- Sinead O'Connor walked out of that one too. Did she, she really? To yeah. I mean, I I totally man, that makes perfect sense. I think there are those people in the world who are like, you know what? I know what I'm going to get out of a dice, you know, a dice span Andrew Dice Clay movie. Mm. Not going to give him my money, which makes again perfect sense. Um, I think there's something to that. I just think, and and a part of what you're saying, I think, is also true. I think they want the actual action heroes. Yeah. I don't. I don't need the Looney Tunes. And if I'm getting it, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking there's probably going to be a guy. Let's just call him Jim Carrey in a few years, and he might actually do something that I'll care about in a wacky, fun way. Right. But if I could predict the future, I would probably call the future Jim Carrey versus like, yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the present in so far as the late '80s, you know, belongs to Die Hard, where he's like, you know, he's screaming, and when he's fighting guys, his feet are bleeding and stuff like that. <laughs> right, and, right, know, right, we right. Don't want like the guy with the gambler's rig that like shoots the gun out when it comes out, which is <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite bits. It is my favorite bit too, but I don't think people were ready. I think that they needed something new. Yeah, and again, I think the beginning of every decade is always we're getting some. Some chemtrails off of the last decade a little bit. Oh, for sure. So we're not really sure in terms of fashion, music, movies, pop culture in general. Like, it's all experimental. Like, let's go all in and try something new. I don't think this was totally new, but I don't think people were ready for it. Yeah, well, it reminds me of literally the last film of the 80s. Uh, or the last major release of the 80s, Tango and Cash, which oh. came out like December 25th or something, 1989, wow. which was 
Russell Stallone, and then features Michael J. Pollard builds them a super truck that they, right. that they drive around, and oh the guy's God. got a gun that shoots out of his boot or something like that. <laughs> That's so right, yeah. That was definitely creeping in, and audiences were like, no, thank you. We're good. No. We don't want that for now. Yeah, we're okay without that. Um, well, I mean, we've covered good and bad in this film. Um, so much. There's a couple things, unanswered questions that I had. Like, okay. And I don't know if it's from cuts or what, but there's these two henchmen that are trying to kill um, him. They um, throw Lauren Holly out of a window. Yes. Uh, and she's fine. <laughs> I mean, she's hurt, but... <laughs> it's two stories. It's the kind of thing where if you cut away, you think, dead. And then she comes limping up later. Yeah. Uh, and then at the very end of the film, she ends up fighting one of them in the alley. Then Sam the pervert shows up, <laughs> and they're both going to take this guy on. We never see how that resolves. They just show up in the club later. And I don't think they've beat him up or, like, finished him on screen. Oh, yeah. It's like, what happened to that guy? <laughs> yeah, because there, there were two of them. And, and at one point, like, yeah, because they're Wayne Newton's henchmen. And I think yeah. uh, at one point he asked, or Dice asked, or Ford asked, like, what are you, some group? And he goes, yeah, we're called Pain or whatever. Yeah, right. Oh, nice name. And they kind of do some damage and then just... One, like I think you said, he electrocutes one, one with the gum in the th- on the... Earring oh, trick yeah, or whatever in the socket, yeah. yeah. And then the other one, Lauren Holly hits with her car, right? And she's like, "Well, you threw me out a window, hit the car. We're probably even, right?" And then she <laughs> punches. He right. punches her, which they is like, in, Yikes. yeah, right. She takes a hit. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, there's your equality right there. <laughs> oh man. Um, and then also at the end, um, there's a lot of it's, it's kind of screenwritery, but sometimes you like a good payoff. You know, we get the payoff of the milkshake a bit, the Sambuca milkshake. Yep. Where a hundred witnesses watch him set, <laughs> burn uh, Wayne Newton to death, and then he's like, "I can't remember the line," and it's like, "Oh, guess that's a thing to do." And then he walks off the stage, and he's just, "Are we going to put him out?" Like he's, he's just burning. <laughs> he's just pr- on fire. Good job, good job. You did it, Ford Fairlane. Well, the worst part of uh, not the worst, but there are so many other worst parts. But <laughs> the new, uh, the new hitmaker slash uh, whatever flavor of the month, Kyle Troy. Kyle Troy, yeah, who uh, is sort of uh, I don't know. But before a pre Rick Astley, but yeah. almost a Boy Georgian type of Boy Georgie, character. Yeah, Flock of Seagulls kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that Wayne Newton, that, that uh, Grendel is trying to make the next big thing. You know, the way they get back at Grendel is they have a microphone and he talks about <laughs> right. how the record industry sucks and this new Kyle Troy. Again, there's one moment where it does this very Hollywood thing where like he's talking about Kyle Troy, talking about how he's a wimp and he sucks and he can't sing he's no talent and this little shot of like there's a quick pan up of his eyes and, and Kyle Troy's crying <laughs> in tear. front of people and of course everybody's like boo you know it's those, <laughs> things, those things you go uh, you know if you're I guess I didn't expect any reality like real life shit to be in this movie right but it really never happens here it's you it's completely okay everybody I need everybody in the crowd to be like Boo! Just boo him because we're hearing Wayne Newton Grendel talk about how cra- how he hates all of you. Right. We just need to get a quick whip pan of you guys booing, and then that's all. We- and it just those are those are the moments. It's the ain't got you moments. It's that moment where I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, the, you're, you're looking for reality in a movie where 
Andrew Dice Clay walks into a recording studio and goes, step aside, Junior. And then there's like a spotlight and suddenly he's like inside a studio. He's on stage. He does a whole number. Yeah. Did he have it? I don't. Did he record like an album or did he have any um, he's ambition on the, to sing? No, that song's on the soundtrack. Okay. But there are many songs in the soundtrack that I wouldn't recommend. So yeah. that's that's probably, besides Cradle of Love and... Hate to bring it up, but Richie Sambora does a version of "Wind Cries Mary." Yeah, right. Um, I only you in the movie you only hear like ten to fifteen seconds, but trust me, that's that's enough. You don't need a Richie Sambora like Hendrix moment. You just don't they, need yeah. that. Yeah, I mean they spent fifty million dollars, um, and there's like a whole subplot with Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Like you couldn't get the Hendrix one. Yeah, you it was enough for sale or something. And they already had uh, Purple Haze in the in the movie, oh, but yeah. not on the soundtrack. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird thing. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm asking, uh, okay, I'm asking of this film the same shit that I asked for when I got um, boots when I first moved to Minnesota. I was like, <laughs> I want something that is waterproof, you know, completely snowproof, whatever. I don't want to be able to trip or skid. I want it to be like skid proof. Right. I want to be able to do this. And also, if I want to, I want to dance in them. Just when, cause when I feel like dancing. And somebody said, you know, you're not going to get all of that out of a boot sure you're just not not in minnesota and sure. i'm like why not and that's the same thing i'm asking of the adventures of ford fairlane why not why can't i get all this well because it's androidized clay right you can't ask realistic what's, questions what's like the that. engineering thing it's like you can do it uh cheap quickly or um efficiently or correctly or something like that yeah, that's right one of those or maybe the ford fairlane version would be you know like a, a girl is either uh it's crazy hot or uh smart or something like that <laughs> yes yeah, so you can so. do it uh, the, the 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 knob goes from more offensive to less offensive, yeah, right. and it, there's no middle ground. It just there's no middle ground. Um, a lot of times in bad films, uh, I'd like to look at how they open. Um, mm. and I have a theory about how. Um, well, I like to call it uh, checking the state of the robot holocaust. Okay, which is that if you have a movie that opens with excessive title cards. Mm. Or a movie that opens with excessive voiceover, or a movie that features voiceover throughout, <laughs> or if a movie opens over water, and you know that shot I'm talking oh, about, oh yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. opening over water, it's a helicopter shot, it pans up to see the city or whatever it is, and right. there are exceptions to all these rules, sure, because Blade Runner features extensive title cards, right? Um, actually, the theatrical cut features a lot of voiceover. That's right. Uh, and I think Robocop opens over water, so you can get out of it, but if you've got more than one, you're in trouble. Oh, I you know I can see that. I have one rule about that. Sure. This, to your point, um, just like some of yours, breaks the rule that I already had set in motion. I usually have a thing about, and this is how most movies are structured. So it's not a rule that most people break or most studios break. Um, I don't want to see the lead character in the first five minutes. Oh, interesting. Or ten minutes. Okay. Because I just think that that's generally what, they want to do some sort of setup about, you know, there are films like Jurassic Park, the same idea. It's like, what's happening? Oh, it's this thing. Well, you don't see the main people. Sure. It's a completely different thing on, in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, the reveal for Indiana Jones is a good example, too. Yeah. Um, it's a Hamlet thing to go classical on you. It totally you is a Hamlet right thing. Away. It's right. like, you know, we're, we're setting up the universe. Yeah. Oh, oh, hi, Hamlet. <laughs> oh, hi, Hamlet. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's a there's something to be said for that rule. Uh, this, of course, breaks it. You get voiceover. Yeah. It's in front of an ocean. You yeah. see the, char the character is right there in the first two seconds. Yeah. Um, That's a good which point. Which, I hate to say, even though it broke that rule for me, 
Uh, I like how you get right into this thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Skip the potatoes. Get to the meat. We're in it. We're we're going forward. You know he's a rock and roll detective. He gives you quick hits, and you're in. Yeah. And he's a detective, and I think noir gets a pass because it's like yeah. Blade Runner. It's you. That's vo. That's that's noir. That's how you do it. You know, right. internal monologue. Yeah. I agree so, with that. Yeah. Another great example you mentioned before, Suicide Squad opens over water. <laughs> and then also, uh, maybe I want to add a new leg to this stool, uh, featuring a popular song, which is way too on the nose for what's going on. Yeah. Uh, which Suicide Squad is just... God. 90 it, minutes of. <laughs> so painful. Yeah. So painful. That, and I, I'm a st- that's one of my stickler things, too. It's like, you know what? You know who did this really well and usually does it pretty well? For all his faults, Tarantino normally will pick some weird, obscure thing, yeah. and that's the new flavor of the month. That's what people are going to start listening to, surf music or whatever, with Pulp Fiction or whatever. Um, but man, Suicide Squad, ugh, it's so bad. It's, musical choices are so bad in this. I yeah. hate it. But yeah. This, well, it was clearly you know. done in five minutes. <laughs> like, they clearly did not spend any it time was. thinking about it. Yeah, yeah I, I love the cue in uh, Inglorious Bastards where it's like, what does... Cat people putting out fire have to do with, I mean, except for the fact that we're going to end this with a fire. <laughs> right. uh, what does that have to do with anything? This World War II theater, I think it's just a, he loves the song, which is a great song, and yep. wanted to use the cue, and so he did. And he's Tarantino; nobody's going to question it. No, and I, I like that um, that sort of aesthetic that he has with all of his stuff. It's like you know what eh, this. Eh. Oh, this could have been better, but damn it, I love all the music that happens in. Um, in uh, Death Proof. Okay. Not a huge fan of the film. Yeah. But because Robert Rodriguez kills it with Planet Terror. But like, yeah. eh, and besides the fact that it's Kurt Russell being a badass, the music <laughs> in it is just phenomenal. Yeah. So with that, uh, the voiceover being forgiven, and we're not really opening over water. It's no. it's kind of a Sunset Boulevardy, you know, starting where we end and then going back to it. True. Uh, I'm going to give it a pass, and I'll say that uh, <laughs> there, we don't have to worry about the robot holocaust. We've got a ways to go before humanity's world falls. <laughs> right. Why do you think that critics, except for all the reasons that we've already piled upon this <laughs> yeah. rejected this that's a that's a good question I, i'm i don't want to fall back on that they just hated dice man yeah um but that's got to be part of it that's got to be most of it yeah um i think that this the deciding voices were just like it just um you know i we've had enough and he hadn't been around that long but he true it was so much in such a short amount of time with the stand-up and all the specials and all the shit you heard about him um and he possibly already reached his apex and was on the way down. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you're you're a fan, but I uh, I see just about every Woody Allen film in the theater. He was in Andrew Clay was in Blue Jasmine, Blue Jasmine yeah. and he's great in it. Um, the entire cast is. It's not the perfect movie. It's it's a decent, decent, not like great, but decent um, Woody Allen movie. Um, I just think he's really good and is kind of uh, finding that next stage in his career. At that point, I think it was oversaturation. Yeah. But I think critics just, you know, oh God, I mean, the, I, I, I usually do a bullet list of things that came out in 1990, and there's so many great films that came out probably in 1990. Yeah, absolutely. This just, I think they sniffed the blood and 
We're like, this dude, this dude isn't going to win. We're done. Critics will do that. Yeah. Um, here's our segment called Pick of the Patch, where I read the reactions of some critics. Ooh, okay. Uh, read a, and these are all, um, I do my best to get contemporary reviews. This isn't any of that. Um, oh, okay. No offense uh, as an internet film reviewer myself. Uh, but no look backs. These are all oh. at the time period. Cool. Um, so Rita Kempley of the Washington Post says that, uh, quote, the trouble is uh, every woman is a bimbo in Ford's eyes and the thrust of his comedy is purely pelvic. Uh, it's impossible to tell whether Clay is lampooning the locker room lout or simply exploiting the current vogue in hate comedy. Hmm. And I say, what's the difference? Because he's definitely profited off of it, whether he is faking it or not. And, and the lowest common denominators, his fans aren't going to know the difference. Exactly. They're just not. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert gave a one star. And like a lot of his reviews, um, this was kind of didactic. It was sort of like instructive for mm. him. Uh, he says, uh, quote, is the movie any good? No. Does Andrew Dice Clay have a future in movies? As an actor? Yes. He's got a strong screen presence. He's at home and confident. But his persona is going to get very old very fast because it's not likable to begin with and there's nowhere he can go with it. Typical Ebert. I completely agree with that. Mm. I, I think there was no place. It's like, you know, you know this as an actor. It's like, oh, okay. So I start the I start the play just screaming. Where do I go from here? Yeah, we open in space. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Owen Gleiberman, oh, my favorite, uh, in one of his very first reviews, I believe, for Entertainment Weekly, gave it a D plus and said, Clay's hateful leer is reptilian, but there's something magnetic in his absolute fearless conviction that the more he acts like a proudly insensitive blowhard, the more you'll like him. That explains the plus. Yes. I didn't, uh, a D plus, eh? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Not an right. F minus or an F plus. And that was, there are definitely bad things in the review, but I picked that out. That is, the entire review is like that. It, you read the review, this is one of my problems with aggregation sites, is that you read a review that is a D plus review that is all kind of constructive criticism or could have, could have been, should have been. Yeah. And how do you turn that into a number? Yeah. Especially when they don't give uh, a letter review, and it's just like, hmm, I wish this was better. So what do we got? <laughs> One to 100. What's it going to be? I wish every movie, even the ones I love the most, were, were better. Right. Yeah, I, me too. I wish you could get me boots <laughs> that would get me through the winter. That's what I want every every movie to give me. Boots. <laughs> well, it's funny because this movie actually went on to surprising international success. Uh, it turns out in post-communist Hungary... Uh, everybody was getting VCRs now that the Iron Curtain was down. And, of course, the piracy game was in full swing. And so a lot of people had this uh, on pirated uh, VHS. And Dice for the film was dubbed over by a Hungarian actor and comedian named Pharaoh Nagy, who apparently made it even dirtier, like inserted like his own sort of what? dirty jokes. And so this became like really popular. There's a whole, probably a little younger than us, generation of people that came up quoting this line, uh, quoting the movie, quoting lines from the movie. Oh, man. Uh, it was also successful for a similar reason in Spain due to Dice being dubbed by a local comedian named Pablo Carbonell. And it became a sensation in Norway after its 1992 VHS release, and it was released on DVD in the early 2000s specifically because of the huge demand from the Norwegian market. People demanded to have a DVD copy of Ford Fairlane. What? Yeah. So I don't know if Dice does international tours, but he should maybe check it out. Check out Europe. I, I am... Damn those Hungarians. <laughs> I just, I don't understand. I mean, I get... I, How I, do you I, translate hickory dickory duck? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that the is that the equivalent of... 
I mean, it's clearly not the exact, but is that the equivalent of like George Lucas going back and changing some things in the special edition? Oh, is he sure. going to change this? Because I mean, that's clearly his thing. Yeah. But this is like a step further. Like, okay, we're taking it out of our hands. Yeah. And you're dubbing in your own stuff, like your own bits, and making it more offense. That's amazing to me. And it's and that had to happen because it's clear that. Nobody wanted anything to do with this film after it came out. In fact, right. Fox was going to produce Dice Rules, his next concert film, and they dropped it from their schedule and just really? relinquished rights because they wanted nothing to do with him. So when it came time to, to bring it to Hungary, to bring it to Spain, to bring it to Norway, they clearly just went, do, do your own thing. Whatever. And we so don't care. the Hungarian version of Andrew Dice Clay stepped in and was like, I got, I can't even make this sound right. <laughs> I got this. Uh <laughs> Well, so, yeah, because there's not any sort of topical U.S. humor per se. No, it's just like it's well, just you know the whole Hollywood experience. Yeah, I, I just think there's something. Uh, it's actually, man, that's kind of. I almost want to see a transcribed version of what well, their so, jokes we'll were. Translate it back. Sure. And are they funnier? And is the character <laughs> more endearing? Or is it clearly, like you said, it's more offensive? But like yeah. offensive in what way? Like what's What's offensive in Hungary? Yeah, I mean, are they the same things? Probably not. Do they make fun of... Uh, okay, uh, just newsflash, everybody. I don't know shit about Hungary. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, are they just making fun of like that local goat? Or like how the meadows do this funky thing? I apologize to Hungarian listeners. <laughs> or across the Hungarian tracks, that village over there sure. does this funny walk thing, and we're going to make fun of that? Is it all very topical humor yeah. about a specific region? In Soviet Russia, Clay dices you. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I don't know. Homework. Homework for the audience, I think, maybe. Because I'm actually getting interested in learning about that now, Hungarians. too. Bastards, you were just fascinating to me. I got it was a weird place after the uh, wall <laughs> fell. I got to tell you that. True. Wait, the wall wasn't hung. Man, I'm learning so much on this podcast. <laughs> what, what, I have no idea. <laughs> curtain wall. It's all the same. <laughs> hey, when the curtain fell. Oh, <laughs> what? Well, uh, as we uh, bring this thing to a close, I'd have to ask: Would you recommend this film? Is it a flash or is it flush? Wow. Um. I, I would recommend it just as an, oh, I'm going to screw up this word, but like it's sort of an uh, anthropomological type of thing. <laughs> what am I trying to say? <laughs> um, I, I like in the same way that we looked at um, MASH on Aging Poorly in a, in a, you know, in a similar way. Yeah. Um, from He was on MASH, by the way, the original MASH. Was he? He appeared on like one or two episodes. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, I I would say you know look at it from a um, let's not do the same thing in history and let's not let history repeat itself. Okay. Um, if to look at it as sort of an evolved type of thing, um, I don't know. You know, there's something about uh, looking back at things, and I don't like writing everything off just to say, well, we've evolved as a species, so this pop culture or this art or whatever uh, is beneath us or is is something we can't look at and learn something from. I'm not saying you can learn shit from Adventures it's, of Ford Fairlane. It's the delirious dilemma. It is. You brought it up at the beginning of the show, which has yes. always been one of my favorite concert films. Yeah. And then as the years go on, and I don't think I was ever like an asshole, but like as I get more and more woke or society does, it's like, yeah. all right, that doesn't really work. Well, oh, and oh, you, that doesn't really work either. And you also have to look at, you know, this is a straight white male 
saying yeah. that I enjoy Adventure of, Adventures of War fairly. Now, if if that's not the most unsurprising thing ever, you know, I don't know what is. Uh, not I, all film fans. No, that's true. <laughs> but I, but I will say, like, I have to look at myself and be like, all right, well, I'm giving this opinion. Um, I'm not. Um, you know, he uses the F word at least once, and I'm not saying the F U C K word in terms of homosexuals. Yeah. Um, he also did that in his act. Um, but it's like unlike his act where it's just, <laughs> am I right? Am I right? Yeah. It, he kind of in the movie he even pulls it back, and I'm not sure if this was him or the screenwriters, but he's like, yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's just a word. You know, I, I I'm open minded. I don't got a problem with it. You know, he's my decorator or whatever. I yeah. Feel like they don't really like double down because it is his act is like. You got pimps, prostitutes, you know, and yeah. so on and so forth. It's like, oh, they're all the same. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, dice. Yeah. yeah. I just on. think there's 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 that weird line of like, I don't know why anybody would watch this film and go, hmm, you know what? I, I want to see where we came from in terms of like. Is there a we... Ford Fairlane 2? <laughs> have we evolved as a society? Well, of course we have. Yeah. So I don't expect anybody to actually watch it um, in that way. I mean, in a way, I would say flush it. But I personally get some a kick out of being an infant and also being an adult and finding sure. humor in the the sort of stupidity and the immaturity that he does have throughout the entire film. Yeah. Um but again, take that from this dude, me. Um that that might not be for everybody, especially a lot of our wonderful left-leaning friends. I love them all. Sure. But there are things in here that will not just make them cringe, it will make them probably throw their remote control at the television. Sure. So, I yeah. get it. I get it. Um, but yeah, in terms of if this was on aging poorly, I would say it does not hold up. Okay. Um, oh, it definitely doesn't hold up. Doesn't hold up at all. Well, um, you've, you've already, um, elucidated all the complicated reasons. So I'll skip yes. that part and just say that I think I probably would tentatively recommend to watch it at least once. Yeah. For all the elements that I said that I really love, cause take into account, I'm a Leonard Six fan yeah. and, um, and a Hudson Hawk fan. And definitely, there are going to be some, like a lot of older media, there's going to be some things that you look at and go, well, okay. Yes. Hopefully, you won't be too offended by it. If you don't want to be offended at all, yeah, just skip it. It doesn't, you're not going to, it clearly had no cultural impact, so you're no. not going to miss anything. No. I mean, I don't think there were, besides the comics, I don't <laughs> think there was any kind of spinoff anything either, yeah. like in terms of merchandising. or So you're not going to find something and be Although, like- Although, Rex Wiener- if that's his name, uh-huh. if that is really his name, uh, has a blog spot on the site which tells you how he's doing. And I don't think you can actually get any of the actual things he published in the New York Times or whatever he, wherever he, or New Yorker. I don't remember where he published. I read that they were collected. Village Voice, maybe? Um, LA Weekly or something LA like Weekly. That. Yeah. I just couldn't. I was doing a search and I found one book you could get on Amazon which had nothing it had to do with like the 60s oh. and it wasn't the Ford, maybe it was in there but it wasn't the Ford Fairlane adventure type stuff. Yeah. Um again, I am fascinated. I mean, you can get these for, you know, pennies on the pound the Ford Fairlane comics so I'm totally <laughs> getting them off them like um whatever mycomics.com or whatever. I might go to Hot Comics or whatever sure. and just see if they have them but I'm like I I'm interested in pulling away the the Andrew Dice Clay of it mm. and being like Again, the concept for me as a sort of a rock geek is just very, very like I'm just so in love with it of the idea of this dude who kind of has a love hate relationship with like the rock and roll scene, but he's doing it because this is how he he fell into it. And yeah, he's he's a frustrated artist in a way. He is, you know, he's not a great guitarist, but he owns the you know (laughs) left. Not a great detective. He's not a great detective, (laughs) but of the two, he's probably a better detective, which is 
horrible. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested. I mean, I'd read that. I'm going to read the comics. Sure. Um, it's going to be a. I mean, the art looks okay. Of course, it all looks like dice. But I mean, it all looks <laughs> you know very 1990 DC. Yeah. Um, non non Vertigo DC. How do you think um, this compares or doesn't to something like Deadpool? Oh my god. Which is meta. Which is violent and funny, also potentially offensive. Because yeah. that thing has taken off and soared. Yeah. And except for... Uh, <laughs> except for uh, clearly, uh, you know, there's less, uh, re- you know, revealing of the curtain um, in terms of what the character's um, sort of motivation is. You know, Deadpool is misogynistic and he's offensive. Yeah. Um, but you kind of get more that the joke is on him and it's on everybody. Wow. And if Ford Fairlane had got more into that territory, would it would have worked more? Oh, man, I, that's what, great. When I really sit down and try to think about it, I can't find too many differences between them. Hmm. Ford actually, he gets more tail than, the, he gets as much tail as Deadpool wants to get. Yeah. If he could. Oh, God, there's just such a, Man, that's a great question. Although I think, sorry, I saved it to the end. Yeah, yeah I'm glad this this. Okay, let's retool the podcast. Yeah, it we needs gotta to re- be, If if this had been Deadpool, that's the name of the podcast. If sure. this had been Deadpool, yes. Um, no, I think the comparisons are are fantastic. Now that you put it in my brain, um, I also think there's a there's a fun, fierce, almost femininity, which makes no sense, but I'll try to explain it to Deadpool as a character. Mm-hmm. He's not afraid to be just, well, sort of a Bugs Bunny type, but also very like, I'm I'm totally comfortable with being um, this, this sort of goofy weirdo who's not so macho, but I'm okay. blowing holes in 12 faces right now. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a, man, I mean, as we both know, and your listeners probably know too, it's like, you know, Deadpool didn't start this way. You know, he oh, started, yeah. you know, Liefeld was like, here's what he is. He's just this guy in a cool costume and blah, blah. Well, he's a ripoff of Deathstroke. Is what yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. And he turned, you know, eventually there was a turnaround with good writers um, well, like Posehn and all these fantastic, yeah. you know, creative teams who turned it into this thing where it's like fourth wall breaking, anything's possible. Because he can, he can't die. You blow the crap out of him. Um, so I think there's something great about the fact that he is what if you injected a little bit of that into Fort Fairlane, if you'd let him be a little bit more not sensitive. That's not the right word. But if you'd give it, if you'd positioned him mm. again, I think it comes back to he shot himself in the foot with his act. Yeah. Whereas Deadpool had when people who don't like comic books and see Deadpool and realize they like superhero movies and go, why can't all superhero movies be like this? I'm like, well, not all comics are like Deadpool Mm -hmm. because Deadpool, that's the whole bit. Yeah. You know, Spider-Man isn't going to do that. He can be wisecracking, but he's not going to be like literally tearing a page off his own comic and talking to you. Right. Um, (laughs) And be horrifically violent um, in like a Lobo sort of way or whatever. Yeah. Um, but God, that's that's fascinating. It, I just, I. That's that's tough to sort of quantify. Yeah. Well, it's the. I mean, I think you're right. I, you know, it's the machismo. It's the character. Um, you just can't get around that. No. It's really hard. I think you just and you lose half of your audience already. You I do. Mean, you should lose the entire audience, but you just organically lose half of your you audience. Just marginalize like yeah. 
<laughs> what most of the 20th century did, which was like the buying power of um, African Americans, of Asian Americans, of women, of all these all these people mm -hmm. you have completely marginalized everything so that the dudes are getting everything and it's getting its comeuppance look at where we're at now like it's mm -hmm. just this is this is where we're at and i love that um you can have a movie like deadpool and it can appeal to you know millions yeah. no matter who they are uh going back to suicide squad uh when i saw it in the movie theater and I did see it in the movie theater proudly. I almost saw it twice. Um, I saw it in the movie theater um, like the weirdo I was, this almost borderline perv. I was mostly in a movie theater full, filled with little girls dressed up like Harley. Oh, okay, sure. That movie did bang up box office because of little girls. Mm -hmm. And they don't care because guess what? Harley is awesome. Yeah, she's got the Deadpool thing going for her now because sure. it's too much. Stop. Yeah, right. I, I I think it's great that um, she's got every book in the world and is constantly doing spinoffs and she's the new character again. Yeah. But Jesus, like I, that was a massive. You know, if you'd had sort of a Harley Quinn character in in Dice, which could have been Jazz, except yeah. you know she could casting been, Lauren Holly Harley Quinn. She, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. So I think she could have been. Something where if they just built her up more and not just been like, I wish you'd pay attention to me more, Dice. Yeah. We used to have a thing. It's yeah. like, no, she could be she could be a walking, talking badass. Again, there's nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Yeah. You're Whether screaming at the a... beginning of the play. Stop yeah. stop, stop doing it. Oh, hi, That's Hamlet. my character. Oh, hi. <laughs> God. Uh, not yet. Someday. Yes. Someday. Maybe someday. Maybe if, uh, if, uh, if, if Wiener does it, if he does it, if Wiener brings out a second Ford Fairlane. Oh, man. Um, then maybe there's a potential for the franchise. But with them rebooting everything, I feel like no uh, IP is is poisoned anymore. No. Um, well, maybe some, but uh, they even they they called they literally called a movie "Birth of a Nation" and tried to do <laughs> that's right another movie. So it's like I just feel like you could do anything now on all on all levels. Yeah, you can do that everywhere. I mean. DC did the thing with Hanna Barbera. They're doing yeah, Future right. Quest. They're right. doing like they. I'm gonna keep bringing back Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. What am I doing? <laughs> it's the banana the split Suicide squad. squad one shot. It's like banana splits and Suicide Squad. I never would have guessed. And why is Flintstone selling so well? Why is why are all these wacky races comics? Everything old is new again. Wacky races. <laughs> it's such a it's a good comic. Anyway, that's off topic. But yeah, I think anything is like resurrectable. That's not a word. But anything can be resurrected, and I don't put it past them. Like in ten years, this could be a th a property, and nobody who's alive, besides me in a wheelchair or uh, on a respirator, um, or a do not resuscitate, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. tattoo on my arm. Sure, um, nobody is going to remember the original, the source material. Yeah, just like Deadpool, it's like nobody, all of us old farts remember the old comics, but <laughs> sure. Anyway, wow, way off topic. Sorry well, the, to, like, everything's on topic, down, but, but uh, yeah, that and um, Last Action Hero and uh, oh, start man. cutting some lines uh, yeah. <laughs> for Joel Silver and let's <laughs> get this machine going. Well, I, I think we've covered the entire thing. Yes. Uh, so thanks for joining us, listeners. If you want to let us know how you felt about this movie, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash craft services. And we're also on Twitter at at craft disservice. 
And we're on iTunes, and uh, no, it's not even iTunes anymore. It's Apple Podcasts oh, and yeah. uh, Google Play, Stitcher. You can find us there. When you do, subscribe, rate, and review us, because it helps us out a lot, and we'd really appreciate it. Sam, where can people find you online? You can find me uh, on Facebook, Sam Landman, of course. Uh, I am also one half of Aging Poorly at agingpoorly.com. That's where all our stuff is housed. I think we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, but also, um, if you want to maybe produce something I wrote, uh, I have something called oneactaweek.tumblr.com, where I wrote 52 one acts in one year. That's one act a week, um, if you're counting. Um, but oneactaweek.tumblr.com. I'm also on uh, Twitter as uh, at droningonwe. I'm not going to spell it because <laughs> who cares? Um, but yeah, uh, find me on Facebook. I'm uh, you know clearly on Instagram and all that kind of crap too. So it's all connected. How often does Aging Poorly come out? We you know we're good to crank out maybe one a month. Um, this well yeah it's gonna we're actually gonna work on one um, and have our second guest on it. Um, so we're gonna hit some a few interesting things. Uh, I think I'm doing a Yes album. Oh, um, nice. Our guest is probably doing, uh, I think he's doing, uh, oh God, I can't even remember. Um, but yeah, there's a few things we got on the hopper, but mostly it's just like, you know, churn, churn, churn. We just don't do it enough because we- Comes out when it's ready. When it's ready, when yes. it's fully, when it's or done. I want to say fully baked, but let's just say if, if it's burnt, it'll, it'll come out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, and the uh, credits are rolling. So this is Aaron for Sam saying, keep it real. 